and a very warm welcome to the latest episode of the Proximo podcast. This is your host, Thomas Hopkins, reporting to you from London. On today's podcast, I am pleased to be joined by Jason Siegel, a managing partner at Javelin Capital, who will be discussing the Dominican Republic renewables market, which has showcased increasingly innovative financing structures in recent years. Jason oversees all aspects of Javelin's business with a focus on global merchant banking activities. He has represented asset managers, corporations, project developers, institutional investors, and DFIs and governments on dozens of buy and sell side investment banking transactions in the low carbon value chains. Prior to Javelin, Jason founded and managed the Americas practice for sustainable development capital and environmentally focused specialist financial advisory and investment firm. He was previously a managing director at Citigroup, a managing director at Nikko Citigroup's equities division in Tokyo, and a vice president and portfolio manager for Goldman Sachs Asset Management in New York. Jason, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thomas, it's absolutely a pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. It'll be really great to get your perspective on this, this topic. I mean, if I could start off with an initial question, I mean, could you tell me a bit about the history of renewable energy development in the Dominican Republic, which I realize is a rather large topic, but if you could give a sort of potted history, that would be, I think, of great interest to listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So the Dominican Republic um, is a, a very special place in the Caribbean um, for a number of reasons. Um, one of which is that the macro trends are different than other parts of the mid, sorry, middle income uh, economy countries. It has uh, population growth. It has a lot of ties to the United States. Um, it has no um, energy, uh, natural resources when it comes to fossils. And it has a, um, one of the most stable political systems uh, in, uh, you know, in the region. Um, so it is the biggest economy. Um, and then it likewise um, has, as I mentioned a second ago, population growth, um, rising uh, wealth, and thereby a need to, uh, to grow its power capabilities. Um, in terms of the history of renewable energy, um, there wasn't any. Um, until uh, first the country deregulated um, in, early, uh, in the early 90s, so that private ownership of power plants was, uh, was possible. And then much more recently, um, a few uh, different renewable energy laws were passed to really uh, address their issues with energy security and, uh, and help diversify their generation base. Uh, back in the early 2000s, um, the government started in earnest to try to catalyze the industry by granting a number of licenses or concessions uh, to different potential developers. Um, and generally, those, while very well intended, were failures because very few projects got built uh, for a host of reasons, including lack of finance, uh, lack of interconnection capabilities, and lack of uh, development talent in the country. However, many of those uh, many of those concessions survive to this day. 
And in fact, the project I know we'll talk about in a little bit that Javelin's been, uh, been working on for several years now dates back to a concession that was granted there. So fortunately, um, despite a, uh, a lack of acceleration in the early 2000s from some of the initial government support, uh, which was not financial support, it was just uh, regulatory support, are now uh, being pulled through and the industry is accelerating uh, very quickly. Do you have any other specific questions about, um, about the industry or some of the macro trends in the Dominican Republic for renewables? Well, I suppose just looking at the sort of technologies that we are going to perhaps see advancing or, or, or growing kind of going forward, I mean, just thinking about the geography of the Dominican Republic, I mean, do potential land constraints give, give wind a competitive edge um, over solar or are the two technologies likely to be sort of equally competitive, do you think? Yeah, um, there's room for everything in the Dominican Republic. Um, the regulations to date have focused on uh, utility scale. Um, wind uh, picked up first in the country. Um, and more recently solar. Um, and we actually see uh, some very progressive policies uh, around distributed uh, renewables, including things in certain regions of the country, like either virtual or physical net metering, which are all critical regulatory um, uh, proven uh, processes to help uh, spur a, day, a, a, a distributed uh, approach as well, um, and which is you know even that much more important in a country that has you know pretty good wind resources, very good in some areas, pretty good solar resources, very good in some other areas, and um, some grid problems and some bottlenecks. So, in summary, to answer your question, there is room for wind, there's land for wind. There's room uh, and land for both utility scale solar and DG. And the economics, given that it is a country that historically has been powered almost exclusively from imported fossil resources um, and has high power prices. And again, as, as a growing middle income country, um, it's the stage in the uh, macro is set extremely well for a, um, for a, uh, a rapid grow out of, uh, of renewable energy. Thanks, Jason. That certainly sounds like a very sort of positive development for Dominican renewables. I mean, just thinking about sort of the funding of these projects going forward, I mean, to, to what extent do you think that local banks have the liquidity to fund the upcoming Dominican renewables pipeline? And um, do you think there's likely to be appetite from international commercial banks as this pipeline develops? Yeah. Um, so several parts to the question. Um, from the um, on the financing side, um, for local banks, historically there have been some restrictions around full non-recourse financing and also tenor of partial non uh, partial recourse financing that are legacies that um, have nothing to do specifically with renewables, but rather with uh, things that were probably well-intentioned to add to the stability of the overall local financial system. So as a result, um, for example, um, it is difficult for local lenders, regulated 
uh, you know, financial institutions in, in the Dominican Republic to, uh, to lend on a full, full non-recourse basis. There's work being done around that. There's also restrictions about the tenor of, uh, of non-recourse financing or partial recourse financing being longer than 10 years, um, which um, is unfortunate uh, because some of the PPAs are some of the most attractive, frankly, in the world, 20-year uh, PPAs. And, uh, but, but everyone understands these. And I think the, uh, as the maturation of the industry continues and the uh, policy support continues because the country needs more renewables and wants more renewables, um, the, uh, you know, these things are starting to be addressed. Um, one other comment around local finance, or I'm sorry, two other comments around local financing. One is that a law was passed a few years ago allowing local pension funds and insurers through regulated uh, specialized investment managers to lend directly to uh, renewable and other local infrastructure uh, projects. Um, in fact, um, the, the project that we're going to talk about a little bit later um, include, you know, was one of the first financings of that type from, uh, again, a, a non-bank lenders, but with local pension money. Um, and then the other point is that the debt capital markets um, are starting to evolve quite quickly uh, locally. And this is for both uh, peso denominated as well as dollar denominated uh, issuances. So we've seen now the first one or two green bonds um, that are actually project bonds in the country. Um, the banks, believe it or not, are actually quite dollar rich and cash rich right now, as are the pension funds are quite well funded from Western standards. So there is a lot of appetite for um, publicly listed debt. Uh, and it's, I think it's going to be a trend that we see that will be applied uh, to project finance in many ways, including uh, helping uh, bringing local finance into, uh, into uh, renewable energy projects throughout the country. Um, the second point about um, international lenders, what we have experienced at Javelin at least, is that the, uh, the majority of the uh, project finance uh, international project finance for renewables um, has come from development uh, financial institutions uh, or multilaterals. Um, and we see that um, starting to evolve. There has been relatively little appetite for um, non-Dominican commercial lenders to participate in project financings in the country. Uh, we're certainly more familiar with renewables, and, and so that may not stand up as as, uh, as strongly as a barrier in some other type of infrastructure lending. But certainly within renewables, there are very few international banks that have participated. Um, and we also see that uh, as the industry becomes more mature and scales, we do expect to see commercial lenders. So I think in summary, uh, the prognosis is, is actually quite good. We will have project finance available from local lenders we have project finance uh, available from uh, local financial non-bank institutions. We will continue to have multilaterals involved in projects that need th that type of uh, concessionary uh, financing. And hopefully we will see more and more uh, commercial lenders come into the space. Thanks very much, Jason. And, and just thinking about 
all these lenders kind of moving into this space and this growing pipeline of, uh, of deals going forward. I mean, do you think that political risk is a factor that lenders have to consider when lending to Dominican Renewables projects, or is this not really a substantial concern, do you think? So we had a change of government, a change of parties last year, and that um, was uh, overlaid, of course, by you know, the, the tragedies related to, to COVID um, and the restrictions and you know, not just, of course, the, the impact on the population uh, and communities, but also on just the physical restrictions of working you know, in the field on sites when you had uh, relatively strict mobility restrictions during, um, you know, during COVID. So um, we, you know, while the industry was really starting to pick up, we were hit by those two factors, again, one of which COVID, which was just a very kind of pragmatic uh, or logistical issue. Um, and then the other, a change of government. Now the previous government and the new current government are both very much pro-business and pro-renewables. And so um, it's been less of a concern. I just wanna emphasize with the change of government that, um, that there are larger credit risks because of the new government. Where there is some concern, uh, which I think is understandable, is that it is a new party in power, it is a new administration, um, and that also some of the reorganizations of the important uh, regulators and counterparties, for example, the National Utility, uh, CDEEE, um, has been reorganized under the Ministry of Energy and Mining. So whenever you have these type of you know, major structural changes to the important counterparties, uh, when it comes to renewable development and permitting and offtake at the, at the national level, there's just going to be some friction. Um, we feel strongly the government's figuring that out, and we have had you know, a really good relationship working with both the previous administration as well as the, uh, as well as the current administration. So I think, um, in summary, to answer your question, um, the creditworthiness of uh, the offtaker which is um, now uh, what we call the EDIS, uh, previously it was CDE, um, has been historically a concern uh, because um, the country itself is below investment grade and uh, slightly below investment grade and therefore the national utility uh, you know, cannot be higher than that. Um, also historically, um, there has been concerns that were um, you know, reasonable concerns about um, you know uh, about timing of payments uh, from uh, because of you know solvency of the national utility, but I think what people have come around to seeing is even when payments uh, for renewable energy from the national utility um, have been late, they do eventually catch up and they actually do pay reasonable interest rates for your troubles. So I think in summary, um, the uh, it's never been a better time uh, from a credit risk perspective for, uh, for lenders to, to be in the space. And um, we will continue to see good political support um, that also is cognizant of uh, the type of uh, infrastructure and credit support that's needed to bring in international finance. You mentioned sort of project revenues briefly in, in relation to sort of PPAs and the national um, utility. I just wanted to ask, are Dominican Renewables project revenues typically paid in US dollars? And um, 
if so, is because is, I have come across a couple of deals where this is the case. Do you think this is an effective hedge against currency risk for sponsors or lenders? Yeah. Um, so the you know, like many other um, Caribbean and Latin American markets, the power markets are dollarized. So PPAs are written in dollars and paid in dollars. And both equity investments and project finance, or, or you know, or, or other types of uh, you know, project lending, are typically done in dollars. Um, as I will get to again later, as we talk, talk about uh, the project that uh, we worked on recently, we, uh, for a couple of different reasons, uh, structure the debt with both a U.S. dollar tranche and a Dominican tranche. But the short answer to your question is, it's a dollarized market. And that is largely um, a factor of uh, a, the history where uh, the Dominican Republic, and still to this day, relies on fossil imports, which are dollarized, of course. And so, you know, thankfully, when the, uh, when the power system was deregulated in the early 90s, from day one, it really has been a dollarized system. I'm so, the, the, just times one other thing to add. And then when you think about you know, further implications of supply chain, um, because there aren't any substantial manufacturers of wind or solar equipment in the country, um, likewise, um, the supply chain is either in dollars or in euros. So um, you know, it, it's, it, it's relevant and, uh, and will continue to be a, a US dollar denominated uh, energy market. Sure, no, of course. Thank you very much, Jason. Uh, moving on to the specific project that you were mentioning and on which I know Javelin Capital advised, you know, the, the Los Guzmancito wind farm, which, as I understand, was the first non-recourse transaction for a partially merchant project in the Dominican Republic, which is obviously very significant. And congratulations to, to you on the, on the transaction. But uh, how was merchant risk effectively managed for lenders in the transaction, if you don't mind me asking? No, I don't mind you asking at all. It's something we're uh, we're really excited about and um, and work very hard on. Um, and we say we certainly not just Javelin, you know, our uh, our clients, um, the other investors around the project, and the lenders around the project. Um, you, uh, as you mentioned, uh, the first at least utility scale partially merchant project um, in Dominican Republic. To to our knowledge, I certainly expect there will be more. Um, but uh, what we, um, you know, we, we think that you know, one of the important milestones here, not just for the project, but for the industry, is that the trend in developed markets uh, globally is moving more towards partially merchant or shorter, uh, shorter uh, tenor uh, offtake contracts. And so you know, we're really proud to be part of a transaction that um, will be what will be what we will see more in the future, certainly not just in the Dominican Republic, but, but elsewhere. Um, you know, coming back to the project, uh, the typical contract for wind farms and solar farms uh, has been a, um, a really attractive, attractively priced long-term uh, PPA as delivered. So uh, as delivered, just simply meaning that, um, you know, as produced, so, you know, it's, um, whatever is produced gets, uh, gets paid at that price. Um, the prices have been really attractive. Um, and one of the reasons they've been really attractive is just because uh, power prices are extremely high in the Dominican Republic. So they're not mispriced with the market. They're just a reflection of where the market is. 
So historically, there's been a reasonable availability of, uh, of government-linked, and I'm going to say government-linked because technically um, these PPAs that were issued by CDE and uh, now transferred to, uh, to the EDIS um, are not um, legally stopped by, uh, by the full credit and faith of the Dominican government. That being said, uh, de facto they are and are underwritten that way, and they should be because the government does step in and has a history of stepping in um, as needed to support, uh, to support the, uh, the liquidity of, of, of the national utility. And, and we expect absolutely will continue to. So getting to the, um, the merchant market, um, the, uh, the spot market is uh, a very well uh, developed um, and uh, reasonably liquid market. Um, participants in the fossil, uh, you know, fossil generation industry um, are very often uh, done on a merchant basis or at least on a tolling basis. So, and uh, it has as sophisticated of a, uh, of a liquid uh, spot market as, you know, as, as any other Latin American country out there and probably more, more, uh, more robust than most. Uh, I think, um, and I'm not sure about this, I think they modeled it a little bit after the, uh, the Chilean market, but um, that was just maybe from my own observations. So there has been, for a long time, um, traders, liquidity, um, proper scheduling, proper technology, um, and of course, the proper regulatory framework for a robust merchant market. But what had not been done until this project is to have um, assets that are non-dispatchable, in other words, renewables, um, participating because there wasn't that need. So what we did for uh, Guzmancito is we took the first phase, which was fully contracted, um, similar to uh, many of the other contracts that have been given to wind farms in the country. And we wanted to do an expansion because we've had such good success with that project uh, to date um, in terms of capacity factor, in terms of operational uh, and, uh, and dispatch. Um, it's all gone very well. And it's also situated in the uh, northwest of the country, which um, has had energy shortages. Um, and part of it is uh, because of uh, grid, um, just lack of, of necessary grid infrastructure. Um, there are some bottlenecks like there are in every, uh, in every, uh, in every grid. Um, so it's an important region. It's also an important region for tourism, which is one of the key industries of the, of the country, country. So it's important to have um, stable, and uh, particularly for local communities, reasonably priced um, uh, renewables that, um, or sorry, power prices that, um, um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, are not reliant on uh, unburning, un unburning long cycle carbon. So what we were able to do is we took the initial phase of the project, which as I mentioned was completely contracted. We decided to move ahead with the second phase of the project, which is roughly the same size and is you know, co effectively co-located um, and, uh, and financed that on a completely merchant basis. And the way we did this is we combined the phase one, which was already operating with the phase two, which is now well under construction into a single uh, project SPV. So when we brought in both um, an equity co-investor, which has been publicly announced who it is, as well as um, the, both the international and local financing, 
uh, the project was structured as a partially merchant project, um, all coming through one interconnect. And so the, um, I think some of the critical factors that made it happen, in addition to what I said before about the efficacy of the spot market is, you know, in the case, uh, you know, fortunately our client, um, which is uh, GE23 has been operating in the spot market as long as there has been uh, private generation and have a, a team that understands the market and understands, you know, how to manage um, and has learned how to manage uh, non-dispatchable assets through that. So it's, so in summary, it's a combination of having a very strong baseline of contracted revenues, quality offtaker you can have in the country with a highly productive product that will also uh, be able to be an active participant in the spot market. And so together, it took a lot of work. We were able to get both equity investors and uh, lenders comfortable with, um, with providing attractive cost of capital on the equity side and um, attractive coverage ratios and loan to value because of the confluence of the contracted and uncontracted uh, uh, revenues, coupled with the fact that um, our sponsor has um, tremendous experience uh, being a participant in the spot market. Thanks, Jason. I mean, it certainly does sound like a kind of landmark transaction. I'm quite interested, actually, in terms of this project in relation to it potentially being a pathfinder for other partially merchant projects, because I was interested to hear you say that that's the direction that you think project economics are, are going going forwards, so that we're going to have more and more partially merchant projects. Um, do you think that that really is going to be the case in the Dominican Republic following on from, from financing such as this? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely. Um, you know, whether we are the catalyst uh, for that, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna claim that. But you know, we wanted to show that it could be done, and we're happy it can be done. Um, and we also think um, it's you know there there's, there always are going to be a limitations on the number of PPAs out there, and we need to think ahead. Um, so um, to the extent you know, in this case, this is I think an important step towards fully merchant. I don't think the country is ready for fully merchant non-dispatchable assets. But at some point, you know, that's that's sort of the goal, um, and obviously being able to attract uh, the, the right amount of finance to to overall um, make sure that participants, equity and, and debt participants, you know, um, get the risk return that they sign up for. So I think um, you know showing it can be done uh, is important, um, and uh, I think that um, some of the other things we're you know we're excited about this project. Um, relate to important um, issues around development, particularly in that part of the country, uh, which related to to ecosystem and uh, social and uh, you know and and social support. So uh, you know some of this has all been kind of listed in our press releases. I'm not going to go into all of that, but you know building wind farms in uh, in rugged terrain um, is a difficult thing to do, and I think that this project overall. Um, was able to use some of the best international practices out there, as well as some of the best local practices out there to make sure that we're really um, in, a, in a really material and genuine way, we're engaged with, uh, with the communities that are benefiting from this project, not just through jobs, but also through many other 
activities that uh, that make this um, make will make this a successful project over the long term, and then from the ecological point of view, um, making sure that um, the project was uh, was brought and will ma be maintained to the IFC um, performance standards. We think that's really important, uh, certainly also to attract uh, foreign lend uh, foreign equity and foreign debt. That's that's mandatory. Not all projects have have done that. Um, it's not easy to do in the Dominican Republic because of uh, you know a very rich, uh, rich history uh, of um, you know of uh, of complications. Let's just call it. But uh, one of the other things we were able to do in this project was bring together, um, in partnership with another independent wind farm and several um, multilaterals. Um, again, this is in in the public domain uh, to to uh, to come together with funding, including from from our project. Um, around some of the ecological challenges to make sure that they're, they're handled properly and sustainably. And we think that also um, in a completely different manner than the milestone of the partially merchant, um, being able to establish these best practices, making it easier for others to build wind farms and solar parks in this part of the country, which badly needs uh, lower cost power. And we think that's also something we're, we're really proud of and, and very thankful to our partners around. Thanks, Jason. I'm, I'm very sorry to say that that's all we have time for, but uh, thank you once again for taking the time to talk to me on the podcast today. It's been a really fascinating discussion. Thank you very much. We really appreciate the focus and uh, we really welcome um, anyone who wants to be more active in the Dominican market uh, to please let us or some of our, uh, our peers in the industry know, because um, you know, it's, it's a wonderful place to work and um, the, uh, the people appreciate it. And, uh, and need the power. Thanks, Jason. Thanks to everyone for listening. I would just like to take a moment to remind listeners of our upcoming Proximo Latin America 2022 Energy and Infrastructure Finance event, which is taking place next month from the 10th to the 11th of March. More details are available on our website at proximoinfra.com. Be sure to join us for next week's episode of the Proximo podcast for more of your latest project finance, energy, and infrastructure content. Mm -hmm.